This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. An historic event at Madison Square Garden is the fitting subject for an historic event here on the Keyboard Kimura podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 100. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined as always by my partner in crime on the Punch Drunk Predictions. Patrick Shivik-Linsky. We are 100 episodes in. Thank you for helping us get to this point. We will get right to it. Today in Madison Square Garden, the UFC rolled out the stars for UFC 205, including the main event, the notorious Conor McGregor, once again challenging for the lightweight title, taking on Eddie Alvarez, two other championship bouts on the main card, apparently going to be a six-fight main card, it is the best card in UFC history. Patty, you hit me up while this thing was going on. You wanted to talk about it. You were pumped up. Tell me what got you going. Oh, yeah, man. You look at this card from top to bottom. Every single fight on this card has some sort of meaning, I think, and has some sort of place on a big Madison Square Garden type of card, which is... You know, what we had hoped for for this card, we hoped for great fights to be announced for UFC 205, and it was kind of a slow start at the beginning. We heard, you know, a couple fights announced here and there. We got the Joanna versus Carolina fight. We got the Tyron Woodley versus uh, Wonderboy fights, which were phenomenal championship fights and, and ones that, you know, would be worth the regular price of admission, no problem. But then... News drops last night. We get a huge bombshell in Eddie Alvarez versus Conor McGregor. And then you get the addition of Chris Weidman, Yoel Romero. And then you get Michael Johnson, Khabib Normanogetov. I could go on. This is absolutely the best UFC card um, that I've ever seen. On paper, if it happens the way that it is on paper currently as it stands today, on September 27th, then this is the greatest UFC card of all time. I don't disagree with you in terms of the setup. This is a phenomenal list of fights. No one will challenge that. My question to you is one is two parts. One, is this almost a reaction to how much UFC 200 fell apart? We always knew this show was going to be a big show, but is stacking the deck to this extent a reaction to what ended up happening at UFC 200 with a bunch of stuff falling out and a great card falling flat overall? And secondly, did you ever think that there was going to be a point where Conor McGregor wasn't a part of this? Like, did you actually believe when Dana White said, no, it's going to be Eddie versus Khabib, Conor's hurt, he's not in here? Because as much as it was... You know, news to see that announced last night, Dana White letting SVP know on, on SportsCenter that this is what was happening. 
it's not a surprise to me. This is the fight, this is the only fight, in my opinion, that can headline this show outside of Connor and Nate going a third time because you can't go into this market and have a massive event like this without the guy that you have set up as the one true standing star of this organization. And we'll get into it a little bit more momentarily, but the guy that, in my opinion, is calling all the shots now. Yeah, I mean... To answer the first question about, you know, whether this is is kind of a reaction to what happened at UFC 200, I think a little bit of it is for sure. Um, you know, it, you look how how the whole UFC 200 debacle turned out and people were left disappointed. They were left wanting more. And I think the UFC was left disappointed, obviously, as well. It was a massive opportunity for them to make, you know, a ton of money. And I think they still did, you know, quite well. but. I think what it could have been as opposed to what it was were two very different things. And, you know, they tried to get that Nate diaz Connor fight for UFC 200 originally, and that fell through. And that was a Well, gigantic- that didn't fall through. They pulled it. And I think UFC 200 and then the aftermath with Connor and Nate resetting the pay-per-view record at 202 put them in this position where they look completely ridiculous for lack of a better word in pulling that fight having that event go the way it does and then they go out with a lesser card a month later and break the record it reinforced the power that conor mcgregor has and the status that he carries and it leaves the ufc to me in a no-win situation with him where they just have to give him whatever he wants because remember dana white said no he's got to defend the title we're gonna or we're gonna strip him of the belt Neither of those things happened. He's got the fight that he wants. And as he said today at the press conference, it's going to take an army to get one of those belts from him should he win the title on November 12th. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, I should say fell through, but fell through for for those reasons that, you know, um, the UFC decided to pull that fight from the the card. And then we saw the star power of, of Conor McGregor at UFC 202, the Nate Diaz, uh, rematch that was a, a colossal event and it I think you know in my opinion eclipsed UFC 200 and and you know the numbers are there to back that up so it you know it, it was a you know a Connor appearance that that really kind of shaped you know that 202 car uh, that 202 card and now it's a Connor appearance that's going to shape this UFC 205 card and I think that you know for me I don't think there was really any doubt that that he wasn't going to be on this card. I mean, you know, that we talked about having Eddie Alvarez versus Habib, but in all honesty, you know, it, it was I think it was going to be Conor McGregor. You know, as soon as we saw the end of the Nate Diaz fight, I think it was pretty clear that Conor was going to go down to 155. I know that. You know, Dana had said that he needs to go back down to featherweight to defend his belt. But in all honesty, I didn't see that happening in my head. Um, you know, the situation that Connor was in after 202 was a situation where, you know, he's back to kind of, you know, being that guy that, you know, is Mystic Mac again. He, he, he won the fight, uh, the rematch against Nate Diaz. And he went in there with, you know, a lot of confidence, came out. Uh, surprise, surprise, the king is back. And, you know, he, he's back to being, you know, that 
huge star that he was, you know, before that first loss. I mean, not that he ever lost his star power, but some of that allure, a little bit of the allure was gone, and he rectified that, and now he's in a position where if he wants that lightweight title fight, you know, the, that's what he gets, and now he's got that on the biggest stage, you know, in sports. What's really interesting to me, having watched that press conference, and we'll get to Connor's performance and and our, I think, differing views on the freshness of it and the entertainment level of it outside of ethering Jeremy Stevens. The thing that's intriguing to me is that we've seen this, sort of this whole year has really played out as a power play between Conor McGregor and the UFC. It's something we saw brewing throughout 2015 as the UFC rolled out the red carpet for Conor, positioned him, gave him every opportunity to become this both tremendous star, but also potential tremendous pain in the ass for them in terms of this is a guy that one of the few people truly in this sport that recognizes his value, what he brings to the table, and the amount of clout that that carries. And so I don't begrudge him for holding out and going after the best opportunities and making sure that his money is right every time he steps into the octagon. I think it's disingenuous of the UFC to pretend that that isn't the case. I think it's crazy that fans bemoan Connor for doing this and side with the UFC when it's, you know, pay these guys what they're worth or if they don't like it, they can go do something else. Like, that's just crazy to me. But at the same time, I think this becomes another one of those situations where if Connor wins, the UFC has, like, just give the guy the corner office, the best office in the new campus, because there will be nothing that will be able to stop him from just demanding whatever it is that he pleases, whether that's a welterweight title fight while retaining two titles. There's there's just going to be nothing else they can do, which is going to be interesting theater, but at the same time to me becomes a challenge for the rest of the sport going forward. Just on the basis of sort of this fight and, and Connor using his power and his clout to get what he wants. Is it a good thing long-term for the sport? Or do we need to just look at it as, for right now, it's driving interest, and that's more important than potential long-term ramifications? Well, yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to that, uh, you know, constant argument, you know, that that we have that internal struggle between entertainment and, and sport. And I think that when you look at this situation with Conor McGregor, it's a very unique situation because there's never really been a star of this magnitude, a guy like Conor McGregor. You can make the argument, you know, for someone like a Ronda Rousey or, or someone to that effect, but really, uh, you know, the, the kind of only guy in this position has been Conor McGregor. He's a very unique guy in that sense. And I think that you have to kind of take it as it comes, really, with, with, with Connor. You can't look too far ahead and try to plan this out because they've tried that before and it didn't work out. Things don't go according to plan with Connor McGregor. He just, you know, does things and elevates, you know, the popularity, you know, of of the UFC by being this sort of, you know, brash character and, and this guy who's going out there and winning fights, you know. Uh, as he does and also you know talking the way he does he's just a unique guy in that sense we've 
Never really seen a guy like this. So I think that, you know, when you when you look at Conor McGregor, you just have to take it, you know, in a case-by-case base, and you kind of just have to see how things flow with him. It, it's too difficult to predict, you know, what's going to happen in a couple fights with Conor McGregor or, you know, will he go back to featherweight and defend his uh, featherweight title? Will, you know, will he win the lightweight title? What happens then? I really think that they're in a unique situation with Conor McGregor where, you know, he just kind of it gets put into these situations and he gets put into these situations because he is a guy who brings a lot, a lot of people, you know, to to view the UFC, to watch UFC fights. That is the reason. Make no mistake. That is the reason he's headlining this fight uh, at UFC 205. He is the biggest draw in the sport of MMA, one of the biggest draws in sports in general. So I think that when you have a guy like that, you just need to push him as 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 much as you can against any opponent that you know honestly he wants, and that's just the situation that it's in. You know, it it might not be fair, it it might not be right, but. Uh, financially, you know, for, for the company, for, you know, viewership, it makes a ton of sense. It is the 100th episode of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio, ESK, Patrick Shivik-Linsky, talking about Tuesday's UFC 205 press conference at Madison Square Garden. As always, the show started late, and the star of the show was the notorious one, Conor McGregor. You and I, as I said a little bit earlier, I think we have differing stances on the McGregor theatrics at these press events. Me personally, having been in attendance for last September's Red Panty Night press conference, and having been at a couple other events where Connor was actually having seen multiple sides of Connor for these press events, I'm sort of over it. He gets up there and I fully expected today to go the way it is. Barking about everybody else being bitter, talking about how much money he makes, making his prediction about what he's going to do to Eddie Alvarez, kind of revising and editing history a little bit in terms of his performance against Nate, saying he went out there and out cardio to triathlete, which is ridiculous. But you seem to still be enthralled by it. You seem to still really enjoy it. And as I said a moment ago, outside of straight ethering Jeremy Stevens when he said something and Connor asked who the F is that, I was sort of over it. I don't necessarily need it. But you still love it. What is it about this dude that you're in on all the time, every chance he gets behind a microphone? Well, I mean, first of all, I I, I definitely, you know, uh, think that, you know, Connor, you know, I, I, I can see your point about what, you know, uh, Connor's trash talk has kind of, you know, developed into now. It, it is kind of the same shtick sometimes. But at the same time, you know, when you look at Connor McGregor and you, you kind of look at him in these press conference situations, there's a reason that people are cheering for Connor McGregor all the time. There's a reason that people show up to these press conferences when Connor McGregor's there. It's because he talks as much trash as he does. And it's because he does these things. And you know that when you go to a Conor McGregor press conference, you're going to get some of these moments where, you know, he's talking about having these two belts and, you know, telling him, you know, telling Alvarez that he's the king of New York. There, there are these moments that make up the press conference. And yeah, 
some of it is is feeling a little dated and old. And I, you know, I said this before to you, you know, in text that I, it kind of felt a, a little bit maybe tiring because it was coming off a of UFC 202, at least for for me a little bit. But at the same time, there's just something about this guy when he says what he says. You know, I think people still react to it because it's you know I think it's coming from a very you know. Uh, legitimate place. He, it's coming from an authentic place with Conor McGregor. Still, I think to this day, I think he understands that, you know, he he has to come into these press conferences and talk, and that's you know what sells pay per views. But at the same time, when I compare him to a guy like a Chael Sonnen, it still feels a little different. It's not you know quite as manufactured to me, and it still feels like this is how he really feels about this guy. This is how he feels about Eddie Alvarez. This is how he feels about Nate Diaz, and I think that's part of what you know draws people to Conor McGregor in general. That when he's talking shit about another guy, it's authentic, and I think that you know, despite how much he's said things in the past, I think we've just maybe gotten used to it more. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't mean what he's saying. See, and I I completely agree with you. I mean, having walked the streets of Dublin with this dude before and talked to him a little bit. After his first fight in the UFC, just kicking around the gym and trying on suits, the bravado is legit. The self-confidence is 100% legit. The thing that gets me is that, yes, it, it may be confident and it may be authentic in that he truly believes it, but it's still the same shtick every time. It's still, you're a bum, they're all bums, they're all bitter, everybody's jealous of what I'm doing, I run the game. We got that. At a certain point for me... The greats don't have to talk anymore. You can just point to the resume. You can just hold out the belt. And you could just get up there and be like, they're doing all of this because of me. I'm the reason that we are doing this. I don't need to say much. Look at my track record. Look at what I've done in terms of numbers. What more do I need to say? You could just sit there and smile. And that, for me, would be a welcome change rather than the same running everybody down, you're all bums. And I get that an element of that is just promotion. And I think if you think that Conor McGregor is the same way in front of the camera as he is behind the scenes all the time, you're kidding yourself because he's not running around screaming like that all the time and, and that boastful and talking shit to dudes when they're standing waiting to get on stage. A lot of it is is turned up for television and to get that reaction because that's what you need to sell pay-per-views. But I also think it would be the ultimate boss move to just roll out there, put your feet up on the table and be like, I don't have to explain anything. I don't have to sell anything. I don't have to say anything. I've done these things. I've got this belt. I'm fighting for that belt. They're catering to me now. Go ahead and tell me I'm wrong. That to me would be the cooler play than going out there and sort of rehashing the same thing that we heard truthfully a year ago at this time, when it was, I'm the money fight, I'm the lottery ticket, I change all of your bum lives. And so for me, it's sort of like the record has gone stale and I'm waiting for that new thing to drop where Connor comes out and reinvents himself. Cause that to me would be far more interesting than another series of fights where Connor McGregor is calling the guy he's fighting and everyone else in the UFC, a bunch of bitter bums. <laughs> But this is the thing that, you know, that, that I think is, is the difference is that 
you know, it goes back to what we were talking about, that authenticity. I don't think he can keep his mouth shut. This is, <laughs> this is the problem. I mean, and, and you know, it's just his personality. It's, I think it's in, ingrained in his nature. And, yes, definitely, I 100% agree with you when you say that, you know, he turns up his personality for the cameras. That's for sure. And, and for, you know, people watching. But I really legitimately don't think that we can sit through – a Conor McGregor press conference without Conor McGregor saying anything, without him responding to someone saying something, there's not a chance of this guy keeping his mouth shut. I I don't see it happening. It you know it might be you know a boss move to do that, and I think that he has done enough to just sit there and say you know this it is what it is. I, I'm I'm the champ. I'm calling all the shots. But at the same time, there's just this spark in him that's like. You know, if you're going to say something, I need to say something back. There's there's no chance of Conor McGregor not getting out of a press conference without saying anything. See, and I disagree because we've seen it a couple of times. We've, we've seen the uh, prior to the second fight, I believe it was at the press conference when, when John Jones got pulled. He and Nate came out a month before UFC 202. And they had their little thing. And he said, look, I could come out here and talk a bunch of trash. I could say a bunch of things. He didn't really go in on Nate. He didn't really have anything to say about the state of 202 when traditional Conor McGregor would have just absolutely talked a blue streak. So maybe it's just that when he's winning, the dude feels no reason to censor himself. And it's going to take Eddie Alvarez or someone else beating him to sort of bring back some of that Maybe not humility, but quietness. Which brings me to maybe the most important question two, two months out. Can Eddie Alvarez beat Conor McGregor? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> can he beat Conor McGregor? Yeah, I think he can. Um, there's definitely that chance. Um, and, and I think Eddie Alvarez is a guy who's been heinously slept on uh, a lot of the time. You know, in, in sort of the MMA world, he was the underground king. And this is a guy who has, you know, years of experience in this sport, um, a ton of great credentials, you know, dating back from Bellator and now into the UFC. I think, you know, he's a he's a more dangerous guy than a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, a lot of people remember him sort of as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a grinder in a lot of ways. But, you know, he's been working a lot with Mark Henry and, uh, you know, the team in, in, in you know, with, with Frankie Edgar as well. And, I think that he's a guy that, um, you know, has a reputation as a bit of a grinder. But what we saw in his last fight against DeSanjos, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, say that, you know, oh, he got lucky with the shot or, or something like that. I don't think it was, you know, luck as much as it was a perfectly timed shot. And, you know, you think, you know, I think you have to give him credit, you know, for that and his improved striking. He is a very dangerous guy. And one of the things about Eddie Alvarez, I think that, you know, that I, you know, look at is his durability as a fighter. He's a guy who is extremely hard to finish. He, he is a guy who's only been, you know, TKO'd once in his career. And that was back in 2007 at a bow dog fight against Nick Thompson. Uh, it was a long time ago. And he's a guy who's very durable in fights. And, you know, he reminds me in a lot of ways, his durability and his sort of toughness Kind of like a Nate Diaz. I mean, maybe not to that crazy extent where Nate Diaz is coming at you like a friggin' zombie, but 
Um, Eddie Alvarez is an extremely tough guy. He's going to be able to take those shots from Conor McGregor. If Conor McGregor goes headhunting like he did in the first Nate Diaz fight, I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening. And, um, you know, Eddie Alvarez definitely has a lot of tools that are going to test Conor McGregor in a, def- in, a, in a different way. But at the same time, I think that, you know, for Conor, those two fights at 170 against Nate Diaz pushed him in a way that he was never pushed in his career before. And I think that those are just going to help him so much. That experience of being in those, you know, uh, in that, especially in that second fight against Nate Diaz, you know, that experience of being in a war like that and really having to kind of um, uh, use his cardio in a different way and balance, you know, balance it out over five rounds as opposed to just head hunting and getting that quick finish. I think that really made Conor McGregor an even better fighter. And, you know, I think that if he kind of goes in there and implores a similar game plan to what he did against Nate Diaz in the second fight, then it could be, you know, I I think it'll be a Conor McGregor win. But if he goes headhunting, I do think that Alvarez has every chance to to win this fight. That all sounded like a traditional Patrick Shevichlinski set up to a punch-drunk prediction in our picks. So I'm going to put you on the spot where you sort of lead me in one direction. And I'm like, cool. He's taking fighter a, and then you double back in the last sentence and you're like, but I'm sticking with fighter B. So on the spot, two months out, less than two months out, six weeks out, who you got and how, uh, to me, uh, I got, I got Connor McGregor. I got Connor winning this fight. And I think it's off the strength of, you know, what I was, what I was just saying before off of, you know, those two fights against Nate Diaz. And, and really, I think those have helped him in a way that, you know, any other fight at featherweight wouldn't have helped him because, you know, he was always the stronger man at, at featherweight. He was always the bigger man at featherweight. And I think that, you know, those two fights with Nate Diaz have given him the experience to go in there against someone like an Eddie Alvarez, who is extremely tough, who will not get knocked out, I don't think, in this fight. But I think that it will be a five-round fight where Connor just is a little bit quicker, is a little bit sharper, throws in some of those leg kicks, throws in some of that, you know, some of those nice combinations in there, and really has a more fluid performance than just kind of planting his feet and trying to headhunt. I think that, you know, that's the route that Connor McGregor will go, and he's going to win a hard-fought decision. I think we're going to see just how different Connor at lightweight is versus Connor at welterweight. I think those two fights with with Nate proved that he can't just go out there and bomb on guys the way that he was at featherweight. But I don't think 55 is, is a bridge too far for him and his power. You saw the square off. He is still the bigger guy. He will still have the reach advantage. He will. And I agree with you that Eddie Alvarez is a durable guy. He's shown that throughout his career. We've seen him in those battles with Michael Chandler, one, one lost one, as well as his fights in the UFC with Gilbert Melendez that was a back and fight, back and forth. He hung tough against Donald Cerrone in his debut loss. But I just think this is where we see that Conor McGregor wasn't just the guy that was knocking out smaller foes at featherweight. He is a truly one-of-a-kind talent. And the fact that he couldn't do that at welterweight just speaks to the size and overall difference between being a world-class elite featherweight and lightweight 
and being a world-class and elite welterweight. I think he gets it done. Maybe not in the first as he's calling, but I think he gets a stoppage. And then I think the UFC has a whole lot of trouble on their hands trying to pry those two belts off of his shoulders so he can duplicate the picture that he had from Cage Warriors with a title on each shoulder, puts his name in the record books yet again with the UFC as the first man to hold two titles simultaneously. He isn't going to want to let that go in any way, shape, or form. So 2017 could end up being a repeat of 2016 where the UFC has a Conor McGregor problem, but also the positives of having Conor McGregor. It's the Keyboard Kimura Podcast, episode 100, here on Province Sports Radio. Patrick Shiviklinski, E. Spencer Kite, talking about the UFC 205 press conference. The co-main event, or, or I guess we haven't actually had the order of things confirmed yet, but I would assume, given previous history, where the heavier fighter always heavier fight always traditionally goes first. I shouldn't say always. Connor and and Chad Mendes went ahead of uh, Roy McDonald and Robbie Lawler last summer, as well as Nate and he going ahead of a title fight earlier this year. But I think Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson will be the co-main event. Tyron Woodley kind of got a bad reception in New York. Stephen Thompson, it's a little bit of an adopted home because of how much he goes and trains with Chris Weidman and because he's just a great aw shucks dude that everybody likes. Is Tyron Woodley getting a bad rap for trying to pursue the things that are most important to him and just actively and openly speaking his mind about these guys? Like, he's doing a lot of the things that Conor McGregor has done along the way of... Just being honest and saying, listen, I think Stephen Thompson is disingenuous. I don't particularly like him. I think it's kind of phony. I want to make sure I get paid the most. I'm the champ now. This is this is what having this belt holds. All things that Conor McGregor gets cheered and applauded for, yet Tyron Woodley gets booed. My question to you is, why is that? Yeah, that and that is a very, very interesting question because, I mean... As, as a personality, I have no, I have no real problem with Tyron Woodley. I think he's a, he's a nice enough dude, and and a, and a guy who's definitely just going after what he wants. I think that a part of why he's getting such a bad reception, at least you know, in in my eyes, is because of you know, it just doesn't feel right to kind of get at, you know, get really behind a guy who won, you know, uh, won the title. He won the title in very impressive fashion. There's no, there's no mistake about that. His knockout of Robbie Lawler was, uh, you know, an amazing performance, and definitely one that you know should be applauded. But I think it's what happened leading up to that fight that really rubbed people the wrong way. How much, you know, uh, you know, he was calling for that title shot and was sort of sitting on the sidelines until he got that title shot. I think a lot of people viewed it, even though it wasn't, you know, necessarily this way, I think a lot of people viewed it as whining. You know, this guy is just <laughs> whining until, you know, he gets his title shot. He only fought once in 2015, and that was in January against Kelvin Gaslam. Won that split decision, and then suddenly, you know, he's on the sidelines. I, I want that title shot. I want that title shot. Well, there were guys who were a lot more active than him that, you know, were, were winning fights as well. Case in point is Wonder Boy. 
Um, so, you know, when you look at Tyron Woodley, obviously, you know, he's, he's a guy who won the title in very impressive fashion, but I think he just rubs people, you know, the wrong way a little bit because of, you know, what happened leading up to that fight. I think a lot of people who follow the sport still remember that, you know, he was kind of, you know, on the sidelines for a while and, you know, wanted that title shot for a long time, but, you know, he wasn't taking any additional fights to do anything and maybe he'd earned enough. Maybe, you know, maybe he'd done enough to earn it. Maybe he hadn't, but the, the whole thing of it was that he wasn't fighting and we didn't see much of him at all, honestly, since, you know, since 2014, he, I mean, in 2014, as opposed to 2015, he had three fights in 2014 was very active and then you know coming into 2015 obviously had the one fight then you know sat out for a while and you know I, th- I think it just rubbed people the wrong way that he was kind of sitting on the sidelines and not really you know in that welterweight mix like you know everybody else kind of was see this to me is another one of those cases of of people misremembering to use a word or a non-word that roger clemens recreated or created several years ago you kept saying sitting out and not taking fights one tyron woodley was scheduled to fight johnny Hendricks at ufc 192 and big rig pulled out the night before with a weight cut issue that's not on tyron woodley two the second part for me is that this is the ufc's creation not tyron woodley's this is where the ufc and particularly dana white coming out and publicly saying things like, no, you are next in line, we are giving you the shot, is an absolute waste of time and a colossal mistake. Because Tyron Woodley, to me, did the absolute right thing. You said I was next. I've won two consecutive fights, so it's not like I'm coming in off a loss. I was trying to fight and beat up the former champ, but he didn't even make it to the cage. And Tyron went out that Friday morning and stepped on the scale to still make weight, show that he was ready to go, which was a classy professional thing to do that he did not have to. And so to sit, I agree with you that Stephen Thompson was active and was doing more to get a point where he sort of got recognized and looked at as the more deserving, but the UFC had already christened Tyron Woodley, the number one contender. And as much as, There have been myriad examples of the UFC going back on those things. We can't, on one hand, say that they have to start treating this like a sport and paying attention to rankings and sticking to some of those commitments and then look at Tyron Woodley and be like, but Tyron Woodley's the exception. exception. They should have left him on the sidelines or made him do something else because he's the dude that, that was told he was next. And would I have loved to have seen him fight? Absolutely. I think anybody would. But he did the right thing for him, and it paid off, because regardless of all of that, he still walked into the cage and straight dusted Robbie Lawler. And that, to me, has to be the thing that supersedes everything else. You can have whatever feelings you have about him from that 18-month period of inactivity, but he went out and beat a guy that nobody had beaten in the last couple of years and that had been in these big protracted wars, he beat him in under three minutes. That, to me, has to trump everything else. And if we're going to look at people to blame for this situation, it's got to be the UFC more than Tyron Woodley. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and I definitely agree with that. You know, it's, uh, it is kind of a weird situation that Tyron Woodley's been put in. But, you know... 
at the same time, that that being said, unfortunately, and you know what you know what we kind of forget about the Johnny Hendricks situation, as I even forgot about just talking about it just now. I think you know um, forgetting about that situation is is what the common fan you know would forget about. They they don't really see you know uh, I mean they they saw it at the time, but people forget about that kind of you know stuff over time and. They only see, you know, what he didn't do as opposed to, you know, what he did do. And, you know, I think that he should definitely get a lot more credit for for his Robbie Lawler knockout because that was the guy who was a destroyer in that 170-pound division. So it is kind of a weird, you know, um, situation with that now where, you know, some people are are saying, you know, that that he, he waited and, you know, he was kind of on the sidelines when he was promised the title shot. Like you said, he was just doing what he was supposed to do. And now, you know, he's not even really, it doesn't seem like he's getting a lot of respect at all for, you know, what he's done, uh, you know, what he did against Robbie Lawler, which is really what we should be basing, you know, kind of this, you know, opinion of him as a fighter off of what he, he does inside the octagon and what he did inside the octagon against Robbie Lawler was pretty damn impressive. So, you know, Maybe, you know, like he was kind of alluding to at the press conference, like he was saying, you know, might not, you know, like him, but you kind of have to respect him. And and that's kind of how I feel, you know, about the situation. You just have to respect Tyron Woodley because he took out, you know, the guy who everyone was calling the destroyer of that division and a guy who, you know, had a very impressive string of wins and an impressive run as welterweight champion. Um, so it, it is a weird situation, and, and I'm going to be curious to see what happens if he ends up winning this fight against Wonderboy and, you know, how the crowd will react to that, how people will react to him if he remains the champion and continues on. Will they Will they turn? Will he, you know, make those, you know, uh, boos and cheers like he was saying in the press conference? These are the questions that I'm interested in being answered. Discussing the UFC 205 press conference from Tuesday afternoon at Madison Square Garden in New York City. It is the 100th episode of the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite, Patrick Shadiklinski. The middle bout on the card, the third championship fight on this card, is a women's strawweight title between two fighters whose names I will let you pronounce properly. But this to me, and the champion in this bout, to me, was the biggest outside-of-Connor moment because Joanna Champion is a legitimate star. New York popped for her. Is this a case where the UFC needs to see that, needs to feel that, and recognize that today, and either make her the co-main event or make sure, in the very least, that they double and triple and quadruple down on promoting this woman because everybody seems ready to get behind her and, dare I say, make her the next Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I mean, when you saw, you know, the pop she got today, uh, you know, at the press conference, that definitely solidified it, you know, uh, for, for me that she's a legitimate superstar in this sport. And the thing that, you know, I, I think I took away most from this press conference and seeing Joanna there was... The fact that she didn't even have to talk trash in this press conference. She didn't even have to say anything bad about Carolina. You know, 
And and that was something that, you know, we've seen kind of in the past and and Joanna likes to get under her opponent's skin and kind see, of you See, know, I was going to say she <laughs> she never talks trash. Yeah. She just needles people. And if you have <laughs> older or younger siblings, you've either been on the delivering end or the receiving end where you just say things that are true or little like comments that they know what you're talking about and maybe other people don't and they just irritate the life out of you. As a younger brother, I can tell you I have been on the receiving end of that stuff for most of my life and it is worse than someone trash talking you. Like I could take Conor McGregor calling me every name in the book and a bum and bitter and going to change my bum life and saying things about my family because whatever dude you're just yapping but somebody saying things that I know to be true or that are like little inside things that get under my skin is going to drive me more crazy and that's what Joanna Janjacek has done throughout and it's cool so far that she hasn't but if you think between now and then there aren't going to be like she had that little dismissive wave off at the end of their stare down she is still going to find some way to go in on Karolina Kovalkiewicz. And, and this is the thing. Um, they had fought previously as amateurs, and Joanna has a win over Karolina as an amateur fighter on the, on the Polish circuit. So you definitely know there's a history there. And there is, you know, um, you know she could have said a lot of things to her <laughs> today, but decided against it. And I think that that just showed... That, you know, to me, at least it, it seemed, you know, seeing that and knowing that there was that history between the two and Joanna deciding not to say anything like, hey, I beat you up last time. Guess what? I'm going to do it in New York now um, going that route and instead just kind of saying, you know, Pol- Polish ladies rule and just <laughs> leaving it at that. I think that, you know, that kind of showed me, you know, that Joanna is is big enough on her own right now that she doesn't need to go in there and talk a whole bunch of trash to, you know, sell a fight. She is a star on her own at this point in time. And, you know, the fans were definitely respect, uh, res, receptive to what she was saying, even though she wasn't doing any, you know, little jabs or anything like that. In the stare down, you could definitely tell, you know. There was, was definitely some Polish trash yeah. talk going on. And if you ask Dana White what was said, he would look at you with that dumbfounded face. But what you said about her not having to say anything and being able to just get up there and say, I wanted to bring this fight for you. Thank you very much. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Only reiterates what I said earlier about the stance Connor could take. Joanna has been an absolute destroyer of worlds since coming into the UFC winning the title and subsequently defending it three times. That's the same approach Connor could take. Get up there and the two of them should just sit side by side and be like, we don't have to say anything. We've been smoking fools. Ask somebody else something. Get one of these guys to tell me how they're going to beat me or one of these girls to tell me how they're going to beat me. And whenever Karolina Kovalkiewicz says, this is what I'm going to do, Joanna can just be like, ask Claudia Gadella how that worked out. She was up 3-0 on me, and I still came back and beat her. And still did it in swaggy fashion like I always do. BT dubs, check out my new kicks. That is cooler to me and more interesting to me than the Conor McGregor show will ever be. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. East Spencer Kite, Patrick Shiviklinski getting into the UFC 205 press conference. 
There are a ton of tremendous fights on this show. There was a lot of star power on the stage on Tuesday afternoon at MSG. Got to kind of feel a little bit for Chris Weidman. Has to be a bit of a bittersweet moment. He has been one of the leading voices in campaigning to get this done and make this happen. He always wanted to be a part of the first card at Madison Square Garden. But you've got to think he feels a little bit disappointed that it's a fight against Yoel Romero and that he's at best fourth on the main card as opposed to headlining with the middleweight title around his waist. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it definitely, I think it is, it, it definitely is a bit of a letdown for a guy like Chris Weidman who is so competitive and a guy who fought so hard to get MMA legalized in New York and a guy who fought so hard to, you know, have the UFC at Madison Square Garden, it is a bit of a letdown. But at the same time, he still is on this card. And, I mean, I'm just fingers crossed that, you know, something doesn't happen to, uh, to this fight. Because we know Yoel Romero's past. We know Chris Weidman has had injury troubles. <laughs> I'm just really hoping that this thing stays together, that nothing happens to this fight. I'm knocking on wood as we speak. I want to see it happen. It, it maybe isn't, you know, the Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold fight that, you know, maybe was going to happen in, in New York if, you know, things played out differently. Um, but it still is a very compelling fight, I think, in that middleweight division. And, you know, if it goes down, you know, the way I'm hoping it, it just goes down. And I really want to stress that I just want this to be on that card. <laughs> Um, wrap them in bubble tape and make yes, sure it happens please <laughs> um that you know i think it's still a compelling matchup for the middleweight division and one that'll have you know implications important implications for who's a you know contender moving forward obviously you have Jacques Ray fighting uh luke rockhold as well in australia um but this is a a number one contender fight as well i think you know both of those fights kind of in parallel it's kind of funny because you know, this is kind of a number one contender fight, and the Jacare Luke Rockhold fight is kind of a number one contender fight. So we'll see what happens. And, you know, I, I think that just being on this card for Chris Weidman is a success in a lot of ways. Just being a part of the Madison Square Garden experience is going to be huge. And you know that he's going to get a huge pop from the, from the fans. He already got one at the presser today. I think when, you know, his song comes on in Madison Square Garden, the fans are going to be you know, absolutely stoked to see him. I would agree with you if his song wasn't Won't Back Down by Tom Petty, if it was something with a little bit more energy that would get people hyped. Like, listen, Won't Back Down is a great song, and I get exactly what it means for Chris Weidman and why it is a very good choice for him, but it's not like that song hits and you're like, yeah, like when Frankie Edgar's music kicks in and you get that first little drop of kick in the door... You go bonkers. When that first guitar riff hits, you're not like sweet Tom Petty. But I do think he will get a big pop. I do think being on this card will be a big moment for him. I, like you, just want to make sure it happens. Before we get out of here, a couple more quick little things to touch on. What is the one fight for you looking at the rest of this card, some of the ones that we haven't talked out, that stands out as sort of the the sleeper hit of this fight card, the sneaky good fight that we're not going to end up talking about because there's just so much to talk about. Oh, 
Where where do you start, man? This is, this is the thing. This is why I said, "What is the one?" Oh man, we can't get into all of them. Oh man, that is, and that's the thing. I think the, at least for for me, uh, the really interesting one that was kind of added today at the presser, um, the announcement of Habib Nurmagomedov versus Michael Johnson. I mean, coming off of that performance, Michael Johnson just had against Dustin Poirier. Where you know he stopped him in the first round and really shocked some people. Um, I think that you know coming into a fight against you know Habib, who Habib, you know, obviously is is in a tough situation as it is. You know, not getting his title fight against Eddie Alvarez and you know being upset over that. But you know this fight he's being fought over- once in two and a half years. He can't be that upset. <laughs> like see it like he can be upset. like truthfully he just oh he can be as upset as he wants he just doesn't have a lot of a lot of ground to stand on <laughs> like if if people that's one of the other funny things and i can't believe i didn't remember this when we were talking about tired woodley like people want to be upset that woodley was out for 18 months and still got a title fight and therefore he shouldn't it isn't really viewed as a legitimate champion because he didn't really earn it but those same folks are going crazy that khabib isn't getting his shot and it's just another one of those examples that MMA fans are crazy. But this is the thing. This is the thing, though. Habib was fighting bears. So, you know, we, uh, he, he does have the unified uh, light heavyweight bear championship somewhere. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, he's a legitimate guy. So, <laughs> But in all seriousness, I think, you know, that's my one fight to watch. Um, and that'll that'll be interesting. And that does have implications or should have implications. We'll see what happens uh, for that lightweight uh, title fight against Alvarez McGregor. Um, you know, who wins the fight between Johnson and Habib will we'll be telling maybe of who's the next guy up, but it might not be. Who knows? <laughs> it, it may determine who fights the winner of Tony Ferguson versus whoever he's fighting for the interim title while Connor goes off and per- pursues the welterweight title or something else, fights Floyd Mayweather as he wonderfully brought up today uh, because it seems like he never defends belts. He just kind of keeps going to find the most money possible, which, hey, I don't begrudge him, but do something with the belts. Keep everything else going forward. I don't need to get on that soapbox now. I will do it before this event, I'm sure. For me, the one that's going to slip through the cracks is Donald Cerrone versus Calvin Gastelum. And I know that there are going to be people that are like, well, it slipped through the cracks because Calvin Gastelum has troubles making weight. And he hasn't looked great in his last bunch of fights. He lost to Neil Magny. He lost to Tyron Woodley. Yada, yada, yada. This is a dude that when he came off the Ultimate Fighter, we were all like, give him some years to develop, to get some seasoning, to figure things out. And he's going to be a stud. He's still only 24 years old. He'll turn 25 at the end of November, a week before me. Happy birthday, fellow Scorpio. He is coming off a win over Johnny Hendricks. He has been in the cage with some very good fighters and garnered that experience. I think this is an opportunity for him to take that step forward and show that he's ready for those big names once again. At the same time, Cowboys looked great. And after going out and hitting Rick's story with that Street Fighter 2 combo to finish things that I watched on Vine 9,000 times in the 36 hours after that event... If he goes out and picks up another win at welterweight, he's right there in the mix as a contender in a second division. And while he doesn't quite have the same call-my-own-shots ability as a Conor McGregor, 
or as some of these guys that have gold around their waist, it puts him in a very, very good position and a very interesting position going forward. And yet we're probably not going to talk about that fight because Cowboy A doesn't have a lot of bad things to say about Calvin Gastelum. B is kind of going to be able to just slide by on the media because everybody's going to be focused on the champions and the other big names. But I think that's a fight that has the potential to be something crazy that just, it should be, in my opinion, the opener of the main card. Because outside of, you know, Cowboy coming in and suddenly reverting back to the to the trigger-shy and gun-shy Cowboy that we saw a little bit in some of his big moments, I don't think there's any way this one disappoints. Last one before we go, and this will definitely be the topic of a column coming up later this week, but I wanted to address it here on the podcast first, get the ball rolling on it, get people thinking about it. As much as we love cards like this, where the UFC absolutely stacks the deck, are they also running a risk and doing them, putting themselves in a little bit of potential peril by putting so many great fights on this card and stacking the deck, leaving them a little thin in other places? As much as I'm stoked that Khabib Nurmagomedov and Michael Johnson got added to this and is going to be the fourth, fifth, or sixth fight on the main card, wouldn't it maybe be better to have that as a main event that gets that attention that it deserves rather than just be part of this show where it's going to go unnoticed? Like, Frankie Edgar and Jeremy Stevens are probably going to be on the prelims. That's crazy. Khabib and Michael Johnson aren't going to get a lot of attention because there's three title fights to talk about, plus Chris Weidman. Misha Tate is fighting Rocky Pennington in a very important bantamweight fight, and we are not going to mention it. Like We will talk about Ronda Rousey more going into UFC 205 than we talk about that fight. And to me, that feels like a bit of a misstep and one of those things where it's like, man, I really hope this doesn't come back to bite him in the ass down the stretch of 2016 because if somebody falls out from one of these cards later in the year you're going to be pretty damn thin yeah i mean i definitely i definitely see you know the 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 gripe about you know having this be a little uh having you know these even these filler fights that on a on a typical ufc card would be you know kind of you know, uh, a fight that, you know, you kind of want to see, but you're like, mm, I don't know, the casual fan might tune in. Even those fights on this card are just like, okay, I have to tune in. These are amazing fights, and I have to see all of them. I do think that you, you run a little bit of a risk when you when you stack it the way you do, and there, you know, there is an opportunity to really, I think, tell, you know, the story and build a, a guy like a Habib up a little more by having him on a main Fox card, I think a main event on a Fox card, uh, you know, build up some of these uh, guys who maybe haven't gotten as much of a promotional push. That being said, you know, I think that a lot of these guys, you know, are, are here cause they, you know, want to be on that New York card. I think that can't undersell how massive this, you know, UFC debut at Madison square garden is going to be. It is a monumental event. And I mean, for combat sports going back, you know, to all the great boxing events. It's something that I think, you know, as a fighter, you just want to be a part of. And I think a lot of these, you know, fighters who are on this card, 
they're there because they want to be there. Um, and maybe some of them, you know, are are there because the UFC, you know, definitely asked them and wanted them to be on. But I don't think it took a ton of convincing to get these guys on this card. I think overall, when they look at, you know, when, when they kind of weigh everything, they know that there's going to be a lot of eyes on, you know, the pay-per-view and probably on the prelims as well for this for this fight. So I think that, you know, it, it is kind of a you know, a bit of a tough thing when you, when you look at how stacked this is and how, you know, it could, you know, potentially come back to bite him in the butt later on. But at the same time, I do think that, you know, uh, a lot of these guys, they're on this card because they want to be part of this historic moment. And even if that means not being on a main card, even if that means not being a main event, I think for some of these guys, it's definitely worth it. I don't think it's a, a question of these guys not wanting to be on this card or or the UFC having to force guys that. I mean, I think everybody wanted to be about a part of this card. We talked about it on previous episodes. There were probably 25 fights you could have put on this card with everybody that lobbied and said they wanted to be a part of it. I just look at the lead up to the UFC event here in Vancouver where four weeks out, six weeks out, we didn't have a main event and it went from the early buzz being this has the potential to be a great show to us feeling like, damn, we really are an afterthought again because we're getting the scraps from somewhere else, albeit a great fight. And I just wonder if we're going to get sort of a similar effect here where a ton of great fights and this moment is special, but this moment was always going to be special. And so do you need a card that's nine or ten fights deep with tremendous fights to reinforce that? Or is the UFC just sort of to bring this whole thing full circle, trying to make up for what was a missed opportunity at UFC 200, where some of the bigger fights fell out, some of them fell flat, Brock Lesnar ended up popping twice, and it just came away feeling like, this grand thing that the UFC promoted for well over a year turned out to kind of be a bit of a dud. And so I just wonder if in trying to get it right this time for New York, it's going to end up costing some of those shows down the road the final six weeks of the year in terms of the stars that are available for those shows. But we will find that out down the road and in the future. For now, that's going to do it. It is the 100th episode. I want to say thank you to everybody that has listened. I want to say thank you to you, Patty. You have been my sidekick for more of these than anybody else. So thank you for always riding shotgun. Um, Thank you to Paul Chapman, who helped me get this started, made his return a couple weeks ago. We will definitely have Chappie back. Everybody at Province Sports, as I said earlier, everybody that's been listening, we could not do it without your support. You are the key to our success. So thank you very much. Before we get out of here, as always, Patty, let people know where to follow you to get all of your thoughts on this card, the card on Saturday in Portland that we didn't even talk about, and just general things going on in your life. Absolutely. Uh, follow me at, uh, at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I on Twitter. Um, definitely follow me you know, for, for all the upcoming stuff we got going on, Punch Drunk Predictions. 
as always. And I'd like to point out, I've been making some ground since Spencer <laughs> went to jolly old England. I went on vacation so. and took it easy. <laughs> Things are going to get interesting. Let's just say down this stretch. And don't count me out of this one yet. Uh, I'm a couple fights behind, but we're we're getting back to it. And uh, I'm excited to see, you know, how everything plays out, you know, for the rest of this year. Now that I'm back and ready to put in some actual research time into these things, <laughs> rather than just making picks and getting it done before we head out to do whatever so my wife doesn't want to kill me because I'm writing on yet another vacation, I will resume whipping your ass starting on Saturday. As always, and for that and, and for everything else, you can follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E on the end. Thank you for listening. I hope you're excited for UFC 205. I hope you're excited for the fights on Saturday. We'll be back later in the week to preview those. But for now, we're out of here. As always, be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.